Hey, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you this morning. We welcome you. We got the furnaces going and everything, so we're okay. We're okay. And uh, but glad that you're here. Cold weather can't keep us saints back, can it? Well, at least I don't think so. So, but it is good to see you here, and and uh, we welcome you. If you're a guest with us today, we especially want to pray that you would feel a warmth of uh, the friendship and fellowship here in the church. Uh, take one of the connection cards uh, <clears throat> early on here in the service. Fill it out. We're going to be sending you a note this week appreciating your, your presence with us today. It means a lot. We're glad that you're here. And we're going to have a wonderful, wonderful, incredible service. And so let's stand. I want to read from the Word of God. I'm reading from 1 John chapter 3. Just three verses here, but they are very powerful. By the way, if you'd like to have a, a little devotional exercise this week, why don't you get into 1 John? There are five chapters. You can take one a day. And I guarantee you before you're done with the book, you're going to be probably jumping back and looking through some other things that you just learned and things like that. This, this is a rich little book. I want to read you a passage here that's just filled with blessing. The Bible says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. God has called us his children. Therefore, the world does not know us because it didn't know him. Beloved, we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. I tell you what, I think I could preach for three weeks on that one. But uh, it's just filled with blessing, and that's this whole book. Take that on as a little challenge this week to read a chapter a day out of 1 John. It's going to enrich your life, and it's going to be very special. Father, we thank you today for the Lord's Day. We thank you for the saints of God. We thank you for the people that love your house and love your word and love the work of your spirit in their lives. Father, I pray that as we come into this place, that we come because we, we simply enjoy the presence of God that is all around us and with us. Father, we also enjoy the fellowship of one another. So, Father, I pray may the blessing of God flow like a mighty river through this place. May the power of your Holy Spirit come, come into, this, <coughs> into this room in a very unique and special way. Father, we ask you to open our hearts and our eyes, our minds, that we can respond and receive your word with gladness. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for each person that's here. Father, as we worship together, as we pray, as we hear from your word, as we commune together, I pray that answers of prayers, answers to needs, answers to the hopes of the heart, are going to be fulfilled in powerful ways. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Isaiah, chapter 6. Um, 
Starting next Sunday, I'm going to kind of begin a bit of a mini-series, I guess. Uh, there are several things that I want to speak on dealing with the subject of prayer. And uh, we're going to launch that next Sunday morning. And I and want to encourage you to be a part of these, uh, these uh, services here that we'll have. And, and that um, God is going to just really, truly be speaking into your life and to your heart in special ways concerning the, this subject of prayer. It's, it's such an important subject. And I feel like sometimes we, uh, we, uh, we don't necessarily overlook it, but it seems like sometimes we set it to the side. And I want us to bring it off the margins of our church, of our lives, and bring it front and center and uh, with anticipation. If God is going to do anything in our church, it's not going to be done because we're smarter than the rest of the, the people. It's not going to be done because... Uh, we have a better facility or more money in the bank. It's going to become because God hears the prayer of people. Please pray. Please pray. I want to read my text to you in full and then uh, begin to develop it. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to one another, or to another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sins purged. And I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. Powerful, powerful passage. This speaks of a time about 750 years or so before Jesus was born, before his ministry began on earth. It was a time of relative prosperity, but it was also a time in which there was deep spiritual decline. God had warned Israel, and specifically here Judah, over and over about the need to continue to seek God and to live their lives for God. And it seemed like as the years continued to pass along, that that continued to decline and diminish God sent a number of prophets, various prophets. Some of them are not even recorded in the Bible, but nevertheless, God was speaking to his people. And he spoke through these, these, in these prophetic voices, urging them to come back and to, and to hear God and to respond to God. Uzziah was a good king. And the Bible says 
that as he was reigning, and he reigned for a number of years, years of prosperity, but the Bible said, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Uzziah is dead, but God lives on. Psalm 90 and verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God was the living God of the universe when it came into existence. He is the living God when Socrates and Plato spoke their philosophies. He was the living God when William Bradford was leading the tiny little Plymouth colony in Massachusetts. He was the living God on April 18th in 1966 when the cover of Time magazine said, God is dead. But God was not dead. He was very much alive. And I'm going to tell you something, folks, right now. God, God will still be God 10 trillion years from today when all of the puny pot shots against God have sunk into the oceans, he will still be God. Never forget that. Isaiah was worried. There were stories of the Assyrians that were a rising world power, and they were hungry for land, and they, they enjoyed taking over whole countries. And Isaiah felt like surely Judah is going to be one of them and going to be next, perhaps. And so he was worried, he was concerned, he was filled with fear, and many other people in that day were also very fearful. But then something happened. In the year the King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw God high and lifted up on his throne, and his train filled the entire temple. Let's take a moment and get a perspective here. There's not one single head of state today that will be alive in 50 years from today. Of the seven billion people that are on planet Earth, not, not one of those seven billion of which you and I are a part of will be alive when 10 billion people live on this Earth. We will be gone and we will be forgotten, but not God. God will live on. God has never had a beginning and that means he depends on nothing for his existence. He always has been. He always will be. And I want to give you today from this text three very, very simple things for you to consider. First, there was an upward vision. There was an inward vision and there was an outward vision that all came to Isaiah in a matter of a very short time. Let's talk about this upward vision. <coughs> I saw the Lord <coughs> sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. Let me tell you something, folks. There is absolutely no vision of heaven anywhere that you will ever find <coughs> in which you will catch God out cutting the grass, plowing a field, filling out reports, or driving a truck, or anything like that. That's not God. God has not had to go out and get a second job to make ends meet because the resources of God have absolutely no limits. 
no limits whatsoever. God is never at his wit's end in what is going on in our world and in the complications and the confusion of the day. You'll never find God scratching his head and said, I don't know what to do. I didn't see this coming. That's not God. God is seated on a throne. And this throne indicates his authority and his right to rule the world. Listen to me carefully, folks. Sometimes we use language that's a little bit confusing. We use language like, I will give God authority in my life and I will make him Lord. Boy, have you got that upside down. God is authority and God is Lord. It's not a matter of me walking up to God and saying, I'm going to make you the Lord of my life. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. I will give you authority in my life. He has authority because he is authority. That's who he is. He is the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up. <coughs> the personal crisis of Isaiah may have been befuddling and confusing and everything, but it was not above the authority of God. God knew exactly what he was doing, and he knows that today. See, that's the interesting thing. You can take today's headlines and you can read them, and it looks like, and it is chaos. It really is. This world is upside down in many different ways, and, and all of these things are happening. But let me tell you something. You're not going to fool God. This isn't out of control. God knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly how to fix it. In fact, he's even told us how he's going to fix it. Because he's given us his word. The train of his robe filled the temple. Now that may not seem like too much for you, but listen, in those days it was kind of an interesting thing. The robe of a king spoke of his greatness. If a king had a small train... It meant he had a small kingdom. If it was a medium train, he had kind of a <clears throat> nice little medium train. The Bible says the train of the Lord absolutely filled the temple. And this wasn't the temple like this church. This is the temple of heaven. With its vastness and the expanse of heaven, the Bible says his, reign, his train filled the entire temple. I thought about this and I thought, how do we relate this today? I think in the academic world, we do this a little bit. If you get a bachelor's degree, you're gonna wear a black gown, probably. That gown will come to your knee length. <clears throat> it's black, it has nothing on it. You zip it up and there you go, you're ready. If you get a master's degree, you're gonna have a black gown that'll probably come to your knee and it will have long extensions on the sleeve. It'll be a sleeve like this, but with an underextension. If you get a doctorate, you're going to have a totally different gown, a gown that's going to come halfway down on your leg. It's going to have bright panels coming up the front of this thing all the way. It's going to have beautiful chevron. Mine should be red on your sleeve and up the front. You're going to have a cape, literally a cape, on the back of it, and you're going to have what is called a hood that will be draped down that. A beautiful robe, expressing that you're at the top of your academic thing. 
And it all explains this. God's train filled the temple with his majesty, with his power, with his resources, with his ability, with all that is God. It filled, it literally filled the temple. Often throughout scripture, we have God advising us, lift up your eyes unto the hill, hills, and when you see these ha things happening, lift your eyes up because your redemption is drawing nigh. A greater vision of God caused Isaiah to change his mind. His whole, his whole attitude began to change. Verse 3, he hears these angels, these seraphim, crying, Holy is the Lord of hosts. And the Bible says the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Take a moment and go to Psalm 18. And you're going to find this in the earth shook. David is praying now. David is praying. A person a lot, lot like us. The Bible says David had the infirmities of us. He had the same problems that we have. All of these things. But David is praying one day. And the Bible captures his prayer. And it captures more than that. It tells us what God was doing as God was responding to the prayer of David. And the earth shook and trembled, and the fountains of the hills also quaked and were shaken. The Lord thundered from heaven above. He delivered me from my strong enemy. The Lord was my support. He delivered me, listen to this, because he delighted in me. God delighted in me. And the Bible tells me that when David began to pray, heaven and earth started shaking and trembling. God was preparing a response, an answer, something that David was needing, God was going to be providing. And he did it for David. And I tell you, saints, if he'll, <clears throat> if he'll do it for David, he'll do it for us. He'll do it for me, he'll do it for you. He'll do it for you, even though sometimes we, <clears throat> we walk in our, the craziness of our lives, he'll still do it for us. And the simple reason is, God delights in you. There is an, <clears throat> I'm told that an eagle <clears throat> can see just as good at night as they can in the daytime. Because of the intensity of how their eyes are constructed, you know, all of that. Right? You know, they're an accident of freaking nature, right? Right? No, God made them. You're a freak of nature. No, God made you too. Anyway, God made these eagle eyes. Eagle has the ability to rise above the storm. You know, folks, I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes instead of saying, God, take me, help me to avoid this storm, take me through this storm, why don't we ask God, help me to rise above the storm. Rise above the storm. Because it's when we rise above the storm that we see the, the wonder of God and how God is at work. There is the inward vision of God and there is the outward vision or the upward vision of God. Getting close to God Will always make you see yourself as God sees you. This is the tricky part of this message. 
and it was for Isaiah too. Isaiah was disappointed. Isaiah was concerned. He wanted God to intercede. And then when God finally showed up, and it wasn't finally showed up, when God showed up, all of a sudden Isaiah was struck <clears throat> with his own sinfulness. He was struck to the fact of his incompleteness as he stood before God. As we go through life, God is always at work in my life. This is going to continue to the day in which we die or in which the rapture of the church takes us home one way or the other. In fact, there are some things that are happening around us right now that we may not like, but God is causing us to look inward. I look inward, how am I doing? Not me trying to choose how am I doing, but listening to God and say, this is how you're doing. Isaiah was a good guy. Isaiah was a good prophet. He was a young man that was just filled with promise and filled with God, all of these things. But let me tell you something, when he got into the presence of God, he suddenly realized, I'm unclean, I'm undone. I need God's help. I need God's cleansing in my life. Sometimes I think, sometimes we think we're pretty good shape, you know, and I've been in the church a long time and I've been serving the Lord and all these things, but I'm gonna tell you something, when you get into the presence of God, there is a whole dr dynamic, dramatic change because we see then through the lens of God just really how we are. And Isaiah saw it. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Does that mean uh, Isaiah was cursing? And it, that isn't what it means. That, that would be the wrong impression. He just realized the flaws of his life. He realized the shortcomings of his life. He realized all of these things in which God wants to correct and change in our life. And there's a symbolism here in which God, which the seraphim, I should say, at the direction of God takes a live coal and touches his lips. This is the altar of, of sacrifice. This is the altar where we sacrifice something for our sin. It's taking from Christ today. We don't sacrifice animals and birds and cattle and all that stuff. We don't do that today. But we come to Christ. That's why communion is important. I think it is a moment in which we touch God in a unique way and say, God, touch my life. Touch my life. I want to be clean. I want to be whole. I want to be right with who you are and what you are. John on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 says, And when I saw him, listen to this, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. This is John. Joe, or Daniel. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 8, there remained no strength in me for my comeliness was turned to corruption. This is Daniel. Paul, who later or Saul, who later became Paul, saw himself as a lost sinner in need of salvation. He was so incomplete. The Hebrew of the Hebrew and all of these things. Psalm 51, verses 1 <clears throat> through 13, and I'm not going to read this all. In fact, I read very little of it. It's one of the very best. David prayed for forgiveness, and when he prayed, he says, Take away the iniquity of, my, of, of thy servant, for I've done 
foolishly. We approach God. And finally, there is an outward vision of God. Up to this point, Isaiah had been so taken up by his own plans and by his own ministry and the issues, he was not aware of those who had a need around him. Now he was cleansed. He was ready. He was willing. He could hear the voice of God. And what is the will of God? Let me tell you what the will of God is. It's that not... It's not complex, it's the need. When you see the need, that's the will of God. I know that kind of shakes it all up. When you see the need, there's the will of God. That's why we meet on Sunday morning, because there's a need. That's why we gather, because there's a need. That's why we preach from this word, because there's a need. That's why we pray all of these things that we do because there is a need and we walk in his will we walk in his favor of God Isaiah puts it this way in verse 8 and I heard the voice of the Lord I heard the voice of the Lord whom shall I send and who will go with us Isaiah responded immediately notice that he didn't wait around and say well, let me pray about this for a week let me pray about this for a month come on folks the need is the will of God. Don't mess it up with prayer. Is that astonishing enough for you? Are you awake now? The need is the will of God. I hear this a lot. It's the need that is the will of God. Isaiah said, yes, send me, I'll go. I'll go. Did Isaiah know what he was talking about? No. Did Isaiah have it all figured out? And all planned out and all outlined out and had it all real neat and cool? No. None of those things were occurring in his life. He said, I'm just going to go because I hear the call, I hear the need, and I see what is expressed. Peter indicated that all believers have been called to serve the Lord. You've heard us say this before here in this church. We have great needs in this church, tremendous needs. We have needs that are existing right now, right? unbelievable needs. I'm asking you to hear the call of God. I'm asking you to stand up and say, here am I, send me. Send me. Not here am I, but I have an excuse. Not here am I, but let me pray about this for three weeks. Here am I, send me. Send me. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says, But you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That doesn't mean oddballs or goofballs or anything. It means you are a different person. You are different because Christ has made you different. You think differently. We act differently. We walk differently. We Everything is different about our lives. We do life through a context of his word and through his presence. All these things, that's what makes us peculiar. We are a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God calling, God's calling is always to serve him in many different capacities. That's the outward vision 
of God. And that's where God places us today. Right in the middle of that. And we have his privilege. I believe this with all of my heart. That the outward vision of God will take you to places and ask you to do things that you never dreamed of. I believe that. It's going to take you to places. Ask you to do things. I never dreamt of that. And that's pretty exciting. You talking about an adventure in life, and I'm looking at my own life primarily through my context, but I think you could say the same. I'm going to tell you something. People will say Christians have no fun. These people are nuts. That's not all that theological and sounding, but they're crazy. I have had more fun in my life. I've had more adventure in my life. I have been taking places in my life that I never dreamt. Just because we serve God. Just because we serve the Lord. And just because we say, here am I. Send me. Amen? For whatever reason, I was thinking of this this morning as I was just kind of walking through this pretty early in the morning. And I'm going to close with this. I'm not sure who's playing this morning, but whoever that, Donnelly, is that you? I don't pay attention. I'm sorry. I don't know why I thought of this, but I put it down into my notes. Because perhaps it's for somebody in the room right now. I thought of this on Friday, actually, and put it out of my mind, and, but it came back into my head this morning pretty early. It's actually a title of a song. We're not going to sing it, believe me. But talking about the God who is the God on the mountaintop is also the God in the valley. Same God. He didn't change. You know, folks, I love the days in which we rejoice and shout and dance about but we also are people who walk through deep valleys through hard things through stressful times through times in which we have more questions than we have answers through times in which we are more inclined to say God where are you where are you in my maybe my sickness Maybe in my situation, in my home, my life, my family. Where are you? You said you'd be with me. I just want you to know he is with you. He is. Because the same God that was with you when we're riding high is the same God in which we are lonely. And he hasn't changed. I think there's a hint of this in what Isaiah Because he goes on and shares with us the incredible things of God that are at work in his life and the lives of many other people around him. So I say that, trusting that that will benefit somebody. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the eternal word of God. We thank you that we're reminded that, God, you're the God who never changes, never is diminished. Never, uh, never at loss for 
for resources, for words, no matter what we might be thinking or going through or dealing with, you are still God and you haven't changed. So Father, I pray today in this service, in this time that we share in communion in particular, Father, I pray that there will be a wonderful reminder of your grace, of your goodness that touches our lives. So we thank you for this today in the name of Jesus. Amen.